The purpose of First Baptist Church is to make followers of Jesus Christ who love, worship, and serve the Lord. And you've done a great job of worshiping God today by song, and uh, we continue in worship as we hear the word of the Lord preached this morning. One of the delights of being a pastor is just the rich variety of God's choice people that you meet. And uh, not long after I came to First Baptist in September of 2003, Jennifer and Carrie joined our staff by way of Texas and Fuller Seminary. Jennifer serves our junior and senior high. She and her husband, Carrie, serve our junior and senior high. Jennifer primarily working with junior high. And she is a Ph.D. student at Fuller Seminary. And they have been a delightful couple to get to know personally, and they've been a blessing to our church in many ways beyond ministry to you. And uh, tonight, today, Jennifer is going to be preaching, bringing the word of the Lord to us. And when I mentioned in staff meeting that I would rather not speak on this Sunday, not knowing how I would feel, she immediately spoke up and said she would be glad to preach this morning. And uh, we're delighted to have Jennifer uh, bring the word of the Lord to us. For those of you visiting or who have not had the chance to get to know them well, they had a uh, new experience in January. And I was talking later to Kerry about that experience, and uh, he said, you know, when we got pregnant and Noah was born, we thought, well, life would just go on like always. And I said, oh. But he said, everything has changed for us with Noah. And in January, the Lord blessed them with a little boy, and uh, his name is Noah. And uh, they've been parents now these, uh, what, five months, approximately? Four months. And uh, so we have a new mom preaching to us today. We look forward, Jennifer, to what the Lord has to say through you. Thank you. Let me apologize in advance for me being short. JR tried to get me to stand on a little platform, but I'm, I'm a little bit of a klutz, and I was afraid that if I stood on a platform that I would fall off or something terrible would happen. So um, hopefully you can see me <laughs> okay up here, even though I'm a little short. <laughs> there, uh, there have been two major events um, in my life, both occurring in the last couple of years, that have caused me to ponder what it means to be a good mom. I never thought about the question very much before, uh, but lately it has been endlessly nagging in my mind. The first event that prompted this question was the divorce of my parents a year and a half ago. My mom was actually the one um, who made the decision to divorce, and she left my father and she moved to Alaska. Uh, my father's family and a lot of other people all but burned her in effigy uh, for leaving. They were pretty upset, mainly because she left my brother and sister, um, who were still teenagers, to stay at home with my dad. Most people would say that makes her a pretty bad mom. But the fact is, when I think back on my life at home, I can honestly say that she was never a bad mom. She always sacrificed for her kids, giving up a career to raise the four of us, giving up her own comfort to make us comfortable, staying up late at night to help us with school projects, driving us around everywhere, and we had many places to go. She did so much for us kids through our difficult times, but when she hit a hard time in her life and couldn't handle the pressure, there was really no one there for her. So she left, and suddenly she became a bad mom. The second event in my life that got me thinking about what it means to be a good mom was the birth of my son. And it actually began way before the birth, uh, before I even knew I was pregnant. Because as soon as it was possible that I could be pregnant, I started thinking about all the ways that I could be a good mom. I started taking folic acid and prenatal vitamins 
and I quit caffeine, cold turkey. I took sushi out of my diet and cheese. They say that that's not good when you're pregnant. Um, and I made sure I never got within a mile of any kind of smoke or paint or things like that. I was pretty over the top, and I didn't even know I was pregnant yet. Um, I say this not to boast, but to demonstrate how preoccupied I was about being a good mom even before the baby was the size of a peanut. Now, four months into parenthood and a year and a half after my mom left, I realize that all the small things that we think make moms good or bad don't really matter. The simple truth is that some moms attend to all the details perfectly, and they still aren't perfect moms. Some moms make huge mistakes, and they still aren't bad moms. What makes a good mom is what makes a good person, or what makes a good follower of God, and that is faithfulness. Today I want us to talk about faithfulness, um, and how faithfulness makes us good followers of God. And we're going to look at a mother in the Bible, a mother named Hannah. We won't read her whole story, uh, but I can tell it to you in my own words. Hannah's not a very famous character in the Bible. She only appears in two chapters. But her son, Samuel, who you might have heard of, is one of the most significant people in the Old Testament. Hannah, then, is much more important than the two chapters show, because Samuel becomes who he is because of Hannah. Hannah lived in Israel during a very interesting time period. Um, at the end of the rule of the judges, but before Israel had any kings. It was a period in which the temple and the priests were very central to Israel's faith and their life. Hannah was married to a kind man named Elkanah, who loved Hannah very much. Elkanah actually had another wife as well, named Peninnah. This was not uncommon for the time. It's actually not unheard of for our time. If any of you have watched the new HBO show about a polygamous family called Big Love, I don't know if anybody of you, any of you have seen that, um, it actually makes polygamy a contemporary topic in our pop culture. But anyway, Peninnah, the other wife, had children, but Hannah had none. And this devastated Hannah. Besides the obvious reasons, Hannah, like any other Israelite woman, needed to have children in order to matter in her society. In her culture, women were honored and made important through childbearing. They could not gain success or reputation through their work or their school or their character like women can today. Their success in life depended heavily on how many children they had and what their children did. To make matters worse, the other wife, Peninnah, often provoked Hannah, ridiculing her for her lack of offspring. So, needless to say, Hannah faced a challenge in her life. Like most of us do, at some point in our lives, Hannah encountered a wall that was just too big for her to climb, one that stopped the happiness and the progression of her life. What did Hannah do about her challenge? Instead of becoming bitter, or lashing out at Peninnah, or giving up on her life, Hannah asked for help from God. The passage that Cindy read earlier from 1 Samuel tells us that Hannah went to the temple, wept in front of the altar, and prayed to God to remember her. She came straight to God with her problems and openly shared her frustrations. 
this was not a last-ditch attempt or a, I might as well, since I have nothing to lose, move. She was serious. She was so serious that she made a promise to God. If God would bless her with a son, she would set the child apart to serve God in the temple as a Nazarite. I suspect many of us has come to these kind of deals with God. Perhaps you've said, God, if you just help me with this situation, I will start going to church more. Or, if you get me out of this mess, I will never, ever do it again. I think most of the time, we say these prayers out of desperation, and we don't follow up on them. Well, Hannah was not flippantly promising God the moon. She made a very specific and a very sacrificial promise to God that if God would give her a child, she would give him right back to God. That's a pretty momentous promise. And it's a huge sacrifice. But Hannah meant what she said. And we know that because she did get pregnant. And she did have a son, Samuel. And she fulfilled her promise. She had asked God for help. And God had helped her. And she had to hold up her end of the bargain. Now, you and I both know that 99 to 100% of us in here would probably find a way to worm out of our promise. Sure, we'd be grateful to God after such a blessing, and we'd give all the credit to God for it being a miracle, but we wouldn't follow through with such a costly promise. We'd probably say something like, well, if God gave me this gift, maybe God really wanted me to keep him. It was just my silly idea to promise to give him back. Or God doesn't really need anything that I can give. I suspect not many of us would have carried out the promise that Hannah made. But she did it. After she carried this baby, gave birth to him, and nursed him, she took the perfect baby boy that she had waited her whole life for, and she turned him over to Eli, the priest, to work in the temple. Forever. I could not have done it. If God came to me today and said, I gave you Noah for a little bit of time, but I need him back so he can do something for me. I don't think I could give him up, no matter how good, how much good Noah could do for God. And I've only had him four months. Hannah probably had Samuel several years before she packed up his little booties and his clothes and his toys, and she dropped him off at the temple doorsteps. It's amazing. I'm actually trying not to cry right now just thinking about it. She was faithful to her promise to God, and essentially... She gave her life to God. Remember I said that children were the legacy and life of a woman in Hannah's time? When she gave her child back to God, she was giving her entire life up. Scripture does not tell us that Hannah had another child. Samuel was her life. And she offered that life up to God, just as she promised. Now after giving Samuel to God, you would expect that Hannah would trudge back home with a heavy heart crying over her child, mourning her loss. But you know what 1 Samuel 2 tells us? At the end of chapter 1, Hannah says, As long as Samuel lives, he is given to the Lord. Then, in the very next verse, she starts to praise God. And wow, does she praise God. I want to read some of her prayer to you. In chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. 
My strength is exalted in my God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my victory. There is no holy one like the Lord, no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low, he also exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might does one prevail. That's just a sampling of her prayer. And this is really one of the few places in Scripture where a prayer and a praise of a woman is recorded um, in the Bible. So it's really important. Hannah is an example to us of a good and faithful follower of God. A big part of her story looks a lot like any one of our stories. She faced a challenge in her life. Don't we all face challenges? She asked for help from God. She could have given up on her situation or turned her desperation into despair, but instead she turned to God. There are many of us here today that can say that we turn to God with our problems. There are others of us that don't come to God with our honest frustrations, only with our last-minute ditch attempts to change things. The first thing that we can learn from Hannah today is that faithful followers of God always come to God first with their pain and challenges. And after Hannah came to God for help, praise the Lord, God helped her. What seemed impossible before became possible with God. God gave Hannah a miracle by giving her Samuel. From Hannah's story, we also learn that God is a faithful God who listens to our prayers and can do marvelous things if we ask. In response to God's faithfulness, Hannah was faithful to her promise to God and gave her son and her life to God. Here is the part of Hannah's story that deviates from most of our stories, I think. God is continuously faithful to us, but how many times do we show that same faithfulness to God? How often do we fulfill our promises to God and follow through with the calling that God has placed on our lives? We are a people of excuses, after all. God, I know you answered my prayer, but right now I just have too much going on in my life to, to do what you've asked in return. Or, sorry God, I didn't know you wanted me to serve at church. No one even asked me. Or, God, you know how emotionally and physically tired I am. You can't possibly mean for me to get up and help at church this morning. I wouldn't be much of a help anyway. Hannah did not offer excuses to God. She just did what God, she told God she would do. It's simple. And it made a huge difference in the lives of many people. You see, Hannah's sacrificial faithfulness had far-reaching effects. By giving up Samuel, she allowed him to be trained and raised as a priest. It was during his service to Eli the priest that Samuel got his call from God. He was just a boy, but the word of the Lord came to Samuel and called him to be God's own mouthpiece. And that's what Samuel did. He became a prophet for God. But that's not all. 
Samuel, for all practical purposes, ruled Israel as its spiritual leader for many, many years. And it was he who anointed the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David. When Samuel died, Scripture tells us that all of Israel mourned him. Samuel was perhaps one of the most faithful instruments of God in all the Bible. And we have Hannah to thank for that, because she gave him to God just like she promised. Hannah was faithful to God, and she sacrificed the most important thing in her life for it. Being faithful is hard. We, as followers of God, are sometimes called to do difficult tasks, to give up the most important people and things in our lives. But we have the responsibility to be faithful because God has been faithful to us. In addition to the simple blessings that that we have in our lives, more than enough food to eat, warm, comfortable places to live, friends and family and church family that care for us. In addition to that, we have been given the ultimate blessing from God, Jesus Christ. God was faithful to give God's only son to be rejected, beaten, and killed for us. And if we are God's followers, we ought also to be faithful. Our New Testament passage in Mark speaks about Jesus' prediction of the suffering he would endure. Let me read it again for you. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind on divine things, not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Jesus speaks of his death, and then in the very next breath, Jesus calls people to follow him, to deny themselves, and to take up their cross. It is no coincidence that before, that his, before his call to his followers, he emphasizes the difficult death he was going to endure. He wanted them to know how costly faithfulness would be, how difficult it would be to be a follower of God. It was costly for God to be faithful to us and give Jesus. It was costly for Jesus to be faithful by going to the cross. It is also costly to be a follower of God. Just ask Hannah. It calls for sacrificial faithfulness. But it is necessary for us to be faithful as followers because we have been showed the most unparalleled sacrifice and faithfulness from God. And we, like Hannah, should praise God for that faithfulness and reciprocate by following wherever God may lead us, doing whatever God may require of us, giving up whatever God may call us to sacrifice.
I want you to pray with me right now. And I want us to ask God to speak to us through Hannah's story. Lord God, faithful God, please show us today how to take what we've learned from Hannah's story and apply it to our lives. We pray that we will practice Hannah's faithfulness in this church community by living out the vision and purpose that you have for us. It is that vision that is our promise to you. Lord, we also pray that we will practice Hannah's faithfulness in our own lives, that we will be faithful followers of the call you have placed on, our, on each of us. Show us your will and your calling in our lives. Help us to come to you with our problems and give us the strength to be as faithful in our promises to you as you have been in your promises to us. Thank you for the parental sacrifice that you made for us by giving up your son, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray today. Amen.